listening to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and today I'm going to be interviewing Andrea Bartz, the author of the thriller The Lost Night. Uh, Andrea is a Brooklyn-based journalist and co-author of the blog-turned-book Stuff Hipsters Hate, which The New Yorker called Depressingly Astute. Love that. Um, Her work has appeared in The Wall Street Journal, Marie Claire, Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Women's Health, Martha Stewart Living, Red Book, Elle, and many other outlets, and she's held editorial positions at Glamour, Psychology Today, and Self, among other titles. Welcome, Andrea. Thanks so much, Lane. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you because your book, The Lost Night, has uh, many delightful, unlikable female characters, yes, <laughs> which I, I love. Definitely agree. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just to start off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your book, um, the plot, the writing process, like whatever you want to share? Sure. So The Lost Night is a thriller about a woman who's sort of uncovering the dark truths surrounding her best friend's apparent suicide in a Brooklyn loft a decade earlier. So to give a little bit more detail on that plot, back in 2009, our main character, Lindsay, and her best friends, including sort of the ringleader, Edie, were 23 years old. They just graduated. They were living in Brooklyn, and it was 2009. So the world was sort of falling apart, and they were... 23 and sort of partying while the world burned and sort of the epicenter of their, you know, having a great time while in the middle of all that uncertainty was a building called Bushwick, excuse me, it was called Calhoun Lofts uh, in the book, which is in Bushwick. And um, it was sort of this labyrinthine sort of artist loft would be a nice way to put it, sort of a crummy, uh, you know, hipster dorm where you could walk in on any given Friday night and without a plan, and you could find, you know, an EDM dance party in one room and a jam session in another room and a poetry reading in another room. And just, you know, you'd get separated from your friends and have your own, choose your own adventures and sort of compare notes in the morning. And there's one Friday night that starts out like any other um, with everyone kind of having their own nights and drinking a lot and partying. And that night, Edie, that sort of mercurial and magnetic you know, leader of the leader of the group, uh, her body is found in her apartment with a suicide note on her computer and a bullet in her head. And it's horrible. And the era sort of abruptly that sort of, you know, carefree fun era comes to an abrupt end. And the story picks up 10 years later when Edie is now, excuse me, when Lindsay is now 33. And she's a fact checker at a magazine and thinks she's really moved on from that era. And then she almost inadvertently uncovers evidence that suggests not only that it might not have been a suicide, but that she herself may have been involved and she had a lot to drink that night. So she's not entirely positive she can trust her own recollections. And so she starts to dig and sort of, you know, snowballs where the more she digs, the more sort of secrets and surprises come to light. And so she's really playing detective with her own life and trying to determine what really happened to her best friend, Edie. It's such a great book. Um, it really kept me guessing. Like, I won't give away any of the twists, obviously, but there are a lot of things in it that uh, surprised me, which I love. Like, as a very uh, experienced and somewhat jaded thriller reader, it's like hard for me to be surprised yeah. anymore. <laughs> and your book definitely surprised me. Thank you. Um, and I know when you emailed me to ask about being on the podcast, you mentioned that some Goodreads reviewers had some choice things to say about Lindsay. Like, I think you, the words you said were, um, that she was annoying, puerile, and pathetic. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, like the reader reaction to Lindsay and how you feel about that. Yeah, yeah. It's been, 
really interesting seeing how people respond because, you know, it's told from a first person perspective and you're, you're basically spending a few weeks inside her head, reading her every thought, reading her inner monologue. And I feel like if, you know, so she, she sort of, she's, she keeps it together. She's pretty together and she's, you know, kind and loving with her friends and she's a good person and she works hard and she's, you know, very competent and great at her job and all those things, especially in how she presents herself to the world. But like all of us, I would say, um, in her deepest inner monologue, she is sometimes manipulative, sometimes self-centered. Um, you know, she, I, I think any of us would be if you really got deep in our heads. Um, and yet people are, are reading these thoughts and just sort of shocked and shocked and annoyed by how how these thoughts come across. And actually, I pulled up a friend had contacted me. Um, so it's one thing when, you know, a Goodreads reviewer says something awful, but a friend contacted me and had finished the book and she said she loved it and she really enjoyed it. But she said, I hate it. I love the story, but I hated Lindsay, <laughs> the main character. And I was kind of like, oh, like, I love Lindsay. Um, you know, I, I, I said, I figure if you spend that much time in anyone's head, they're going to seem manipulative and self-serving. And she said, okay, that's true. I guess I shouldn't say I hated her. Maybe I should say she made me uncomfortably aware of how often I'm just waiting for my own turn to speak. <laughs> and I was like, boom, like, there it is. Um, so, yeah, I think and, – and part of what sort of bums me out about when people claim that she's annoying or childish or pathetic is that it was really important for me to write Lindsay in a way where she felt – um, she felt real and she felt vulnerable and obviously I'm not Lindsay, but like, you know, some of those real, those thoughts you have late at night made it onto the page, those really insecure, really vulnerable thoughts. And I think she's a character who's just dealing with a lot of shame. And I think a lot of people, especially women are, I mean, witness the rise of Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. And so Lindsay as a character has a lot of shame about, how things went down in her 20s, about how much she used to drink, about what happened when she drank, about the fact that she's single and hasn't had a serious boyfriend. And so she's talking about these things and some people are really responding to that and really appreciating that and connecting with her. But then I think it makes some people so uncomfortable to see, or in this case, read a woman sort of voicing discomfort with themselves and expressing the shame and bringing it into light. And so they react with, Oh, I don't like that. I don't like her. I don't like that at all. She's immature. She's nothing like me. And and sort of putting this distance between themselves and her. Yeah, that's very telling. I think whenever anybody has that strong of a reaction to a character, it's like, what is this character reminding you of about yourself that you hate? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just it's that visceral, like, like you said, like, I don't want to be like that. I'm not like that. This person's nothing like me. Mm -hmm. uh, pushing them away. Yeah, I think we do that when we're uh, seeing ourselves in the character. And yeah. I saw a lot of myself in Lindsay, both uh, her as a 30-year-old, 33-year-old, and her in her 20s. And I think, too, like, we're seeing her um, go back into her past and really reckon with what she did when she was young. And, mm -hmm. like, we were all idiots when we were that age, yeah. right? Like, I was. <laughs> right? Like, you look back and it's like, how did we survive? Like, yeah. good Lord, some of those decisions I made were pretty awful. 
And I think if you're in your mid thirties and you're not looking back on that time and going like, oh God, that was, that was bad. Like you probably have not grown up enough. Like that's a sign that you are more mature. Like the fact that she's in her thirties and looking back and regretting what she did and questioning it and everything. I think that speaks well of her character personally. Yeah, I think so too. And honestly, writing it for me, I, I just turned 33 this week. Um, so I'm now the same age as as Lindsay, uh, but I also was 23 in, in 2009 like her. And like for me, writing this book was actually really cathartic in terms of looking back on my 20s with perspective and with fresh eyes. And like, I think I did have a lot of, of shame and just discomfort and also sort of resentment um, about how other people treated me in certain situations, how certain things went down, how I handled things badly, how other people handled things badly. And, you know, writing this book and looking back and just recognizing for the first time, like, 23-year-olds are idiots. Like, we were all (laughs) just doing our best was so sort of healing and being able to forgive, you know, those around me and also to forgive myself for all of the really stupid decisions I made as as an early 20-something who didn't know better. So, yeah, I think a, a journey towards acceptance is showing maturity, not necessarily you know someone puerile and 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 pathetic (laughs) (laughs) yeah I could see that it would be cathartic I'm right now writing a book where one of the point of view characters is a 20 year old college student who's just like this ball of anxiety and I'm having to like just realize (laughs) I don't know like address some things that I went through at that age that um feelings that I had that I'm just like how did I survive having all of those emotions at once like there's just so much (laughs) yeah yeah and they feel so real and they feel like they will never change and like yes that was something I wanted to capture too about you know your your early 20s where like Every, it's almost like a second adolescence. It's like everything feels enormous and everything mm-hmm. feels like epic and every friend drama is just all you can think about and every you know new date or new relationship or new person just feels so huge. And there's also just sort of this expansiveness of if you meet someone and you hit it off, like your whole life can change. Like every mm-hmm. time you walk out the door and go to a new party, just every there's there's room and there's space and there's time for everything. And that's so unique. And I think, you know, you couldn't you couldn't pay me enough to go back to being 23 because Oh God, no. <laughs> right? Like so insecure, had so many, you know, had so little idea of who I was. I was so sort of, you know, dip, I was a reed in the wind of other people's opinions. You couldn't pay me enough to go back. But it was fun to sort of go back and, and remember just how much unbridled fun you could have. And when you didn't have that many responsibilities yet and you didn't have that much of a sense of like really the, the the weight of the world and the hardship of the world. You know, now I'm at the very ripe old age of 33, but <laughs> just being 23 and that unbridled sense of fun that just sort of could permeate a night or a week or a, you know, whatever um, was really, I don't know, fun to try to capture, but it was a double-edged sword with all of the, you know, rampant insecurity and crippling doubt. <laughs> And I think, too, I mean, there's such a disdain for young women in our society, like just the things young women like and feel and everything are really dismissed as like, oh, she's hysterical. She's dramatic. She's mm-hmm. like, whatever. Um, and I think that's probably coming out, too, in the way people are reacting to Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, this is this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I think it's OK. Um, something that Lindsay really has trouble with and really has a lot of shame around is that uh, at times when she had too much to drink, she would be she would choose the mean drunk and she would even become sort of violent and this anger would really come out. 
And um, actually, my therapist recently pointed out, like, you know, you are someone who's not terribly in touch with your own anger. I don't, you know, I get mad about like the state of the world and like Republicans, but you know, in in interpersonal (laughs) things, like I kind of grew up in a family where anger was not sanctioned. Anger was not okay. If you were angry, that was a punishable offense. I think a lot of other, I, I know a lot of other people did too. Um, sort of, you know, grew up not not feeling like they could be in touch with their anger. And so I think that is a really scary thing about this character that um, some people are glomming onto when they call her unlikable. It's like, she's that's not okay that she has this, this anger kind of seething underneath things. Like, that's not acceptable. That's not how we want women to be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the fact that it only comes out when she's really drunk, I mean, I think that's for a lot of women like we I think we all have this mm-hmm. <laughs> simmering rage underneath and it just depends like what the situation will be that will bring it out I mean I know all of my books are in a way about f- female rage and right. I'm having to deal with oh yeah it's it's making me realize a lot of things about myself I yeah it's always interesting like the things that come up as you're as you're writing it teaches you a lot about yourself and you're dealing with things that you weren't even aware of until you write about them. Right, right. Well, and you see every once in a while on social media or something when, you know, there's another discussion of of street harassment or something, how a few guys will pipe up with like, I don't understand how you women haven't just like slaughtered us all. Like, how do you get through the day the way that the world <laughs> treats you? And we're like, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. It is pretty incredible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> When you think about it, <laughs> I don't usually see those guys. I usually see the guys on Twitter who are like, "Oh, you're exaggerating. That's well, it's not right. that bad." Like, right. It's like what were the you one that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. The like one believer, like against the you know two thousand guys who are like, "Oh man, that one guy really sucked." And you're like, "No, my whole point is that this happens to all of us every day. This was not an isolated incident." Ugh. Men really should have more appreciation for the fact that we don't murder them all. It's absolutely true. Could not agree more. <laughs> So I think you've mentioned before that, I mean, obviously we're talking a lot here about bringing your own issues, your own thoughts, your own feelings into your writing, which all writers do, obviously. But I think you've mentioned before that um, you've had issues with people assuming that you are Lindsay or that this is almost like autobiographical. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's really incredible how many people like make that leap or one particularly nasty review. Um just didn't use Lindsay's name once, just kept saying that Andrea Bartz is, um, you know, pathetically obsessed with her 20s and Bartz moved on. And it was so strange. I was like, you realize that she's fictional and I'm not. That's a pretty big difference between us right there. Um, so, yeah, it absolutely happens. And, you know, I see some of the similarities in the sense that, again, her her age matches mine and sort of that demographic of being 23 and being in the quote unquote like hipster artsy scene in ground zero of that sort of subculture, i.e., you know, Bushwick, North Brooklyn. Um, So we definitely have things in common and that really helped me a lot when I was writing because a lot of the details are sort of ripped from real life. There's a lot of like, you can't make this shit up kind of fun details especially from the 2009 stories um so that was you know really fun to have have details to draw from and then I also had a career in magazines um much like this character um I think maybe one of the most unrealistic things about the book is that she still has a job in magazines whereas I had to jump ship a number of years ago after pretty much every magazine I worked at folded um 
So yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, we have things in common, which hopefully lends it some verisimilitude. But in terms of her being me, like we have very different thoughts and, and I don't, I never questioned if I accidentally killed someone. I'm a really, really happy drunk. I get, I get really lovey. And my response is just like, I love you so much. And people are like, <laughs> let's go home. Like, I think you're done. Um, so yeah, the similarity stuff at, at the more, um, I think the more, you know, superficial things. But then of course, as I said, like some of the, those feelings of shame and vulnerability, um, are things I drew on for myself. And the book is primarily told from her perspective, but then there's also some interstitials that are from other characters. Um, and they all, you know, like any author, th there are lines and feelings in those characters and those sections that also come from me. I mean, it all came out of my brain. So sure. <laughs> when people are, when, you know, when people say like, which character is you and which character is this friend and which character is that friend? It's like, they're all kind of me in different different shades and different ways of slicing me. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not one and the same, which I feel like I'm constantly reminding people, especially men. Especially men. Yeah, I feel like that assumption about female writers that we're just writing characters who are exactly like us. I think it's twofold. I mean, it's it's obviously like misogyny, but I also feel like a lot of men actually do write characters that are just <laughs> them, especially in like pretentious literary fiction about sad professors who oh God, like yes. sleep with 22 year olds and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. um, they're just writing a version of themselves. that's like wish fulfillment. So they think that that's what we're doing too <laughs> right right or like a way to sort of minimize like well you couldn't have you couldn't have like used your imagination to come up with right. new things so surely you were just like recording the truth and add changing a few key details <laughs> yeah I actually think the main character in my debut is such a badass like if people thought I was like her I would be really happy I'm not like her at all like we really have nothing in common except we're both from the midwest and have like dark brown hair like that's, yeah and mine's fake um, <laughs> but she's so she's such a badass if people thought I was like her I'd be like yeah totally I'm exactly like Kira <laughs> yeah yeah I love that well it's funny too because I adore Lindsay I think she's I think she's a total badass I think She's so smart and confident and, you know, we haven't talked that much about the fact that she's single, but it's something mm. that comes up, you know, in, in mean reviews and stuff as like, oh, she's single as proof that like she's immature and hasn't grown up and like, oh, wow, can't, yeah, can't like hold down a relationship. And I don't know, first of all, I have a number of friends who are my age and haven't had a serious relationship. Um, I mean, I've had a few since the high school and college boyfriend, but I've been primarily single in, in my 20s and into 30s um and I really don't think it's because I you know have some deficiency I'm not aware of so for me the motivation to make her single was not to sort of demonstrate how immature she is and how much growing she has to do um but rather I wanted her to be fiercely independent and smart and um competent and like confident in her own uh in herself and in her own sort of you know research skills she's a fact checker she's digging into this um and I, I also thought in my life, even though I'm currently single, like I have so much interesting sort of relational drama and like juiciness um, from non-romantic relationships, right? And mm -hmm. so many thrillers, especially, I mean, domestic noir, even as an entire genre, sort of revolve around a romantic relationship. Like often the copy on the back of the book starts with so-and-so seems to have the perfect marriage. Um, and actually she's a widow or actually she's in an abusive relationship or actually 
her, you know, her, she's a divorcee and her husband has left her and she's obsessed. And so much of the drama then hinges on this romantic relationship. Um, and I just felt like there was so much to mine, especially with like two best friends in their 20s um, and like female, close female relationships and female friendships. And I mean, my my life doesn't revolve around a romantic relationship. And so I didn't feel like my characters needed to either. Um, and someone pointed out that the first time that we meet Edie, when, when we learn, when Lindsay sort of recalls to the reader the very first time she saw Edie at a party in Calhoun Lofts, um, it almost kind of goes into slow motion. You see Edie dancing, you see her through Lindsay's eyes, and it almost feels like a like a romantic moment. It almost is this like love at first sight moment. It and totally is. Yeah. 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 And I I don't know, when I look back on my 20s, like, yeah, I dated, but certainly that era, early 20s, I dated some idiot dudes who like are still <laughs> bopping around Brooklyn. But like the friend relationships are the ones that really mattered to me back then. And so, yeah, they weren't romantically involved, but it was just as important and and did feel sort of like a love at first sight thing. Yeah, there is that intense infatuation that can happen in female friendships, like even if both women are straight. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's always interesting since I'm bi, like, like, where's the line where I actually do have a crush on mm -hmm. someone versus that sort of friend crush infatuation. Yeah. But yeah, I loved how you captured that. I love that Lindsay is single and it didn't make me think she was immature at all. It definitely, I mean, she's, she is, and she's independent. She's made her own way in New York. She's got a career. She's surviving. Um, and she's got a lot of interesting things going on in her life. And even though there's, again, no spoilers, but like there's a little bit of a flirtation for her. Like I was really glad that it's not about her being in a relationship with someone. It's not like the happily ever after, mm -hmm. like kissing on the last page. Like that's her reward for all of this or whatever. Like it's just about this mystery and her friendships. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah I, yeah, I knew. I mean, I knew from from day one. I didn't know the whole story, but there was no way in hell that it was going to end with her getting a boyfriend because now she earned it now she deserves oh uh, like, yeah i hate no, that so much <laughs> kill me like absolutely no way it's not how life works and you don't suddenly like wake up one day with having done enough work that your boyfriend arrives in the mail or you know partner arrives in the mail like <laughs> no sir yeah that happens in so many books and movies and stuff though it's like this signifier that a female character who's maybe been kind of a mess or like had bad things going on in her life like now she's fixed she's like whole yeah. again and like a man loves her like fuck that <laughs> yeah like someone's chosen her and that's how we can tell <laughs> now she's great yeah. yeah so glad you avoided all of that that's excellent yeah that, um, was, that was an easy decision for me <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about you did so many amazing like tie in articles when this came out. Like I've been reading all of your essays and stuff that have been published online and like taking notes, honestly, oh, gosh, <laughs> as thanks. a debut author. It's very inspiring to me. And I know you wrote one about like your friends uh, reacting to your singlehood, which was really interesting. And then you also wrote one about um, self-promotion and like women being comfortable with self-promotion I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that because I, I love that one I've like read it multiple times yeah thank you so so I had that idea um I guess before I get into those two I should add like I was a professional freelance writer for a number of years after I was a magazine editor so um I feel like often 
other authors are like, how did you play so many essays? I'm like, I pitched like a hundred and like four of them landed. Like this is what I was doing <laughs> full time for a while. Um, so yeah, I was sort of like shaking the, you know, shaking the elbow of every editor I have ever worked with ever. Um, but this was an idea I was excited about and then I sold pretty quickly. Um, I am on social media as you sort of have to be as a, as a author. And I just kept seeing, and, and I'm, you know, friends with a lot of, uh, sort of new debut authors like you via via social media, how we all kind of hooked up. And I was noticing that on Facebook and Twitter, they were, whenever they had good news to share, it was shared in a way of like, I know you're so sick of hearing about this or like, ugh, I'm so sorry for the self-promotion. Like, I know I'm so shameless. I promise it'll stop soon. And it just like bummed me out. It just like, I don't know, felt so sort of, sad and gross that like this amazing thing was happening and people couldn't you know feel feel excited and confident in sharing it and I had been sharing my own good news as much as I could and fighting off that instinct to start with any sort of warning or you know scroll past if you don't want to see shameless self-promotion and people seemed really excited and I kind of figured like yeah maybe it is annoying some people or making some people jealous or uncomfortable or whatever but like they can scroll on by like no one's hitting the unlike button right mm-hmm. um and so i just had the idea of writing you know talking to some experts and writing a piece that's like i'm a self-promoting woman and it's not shameless and i'm not sorry and you shouldn't be either and something really fascinating i talked to um leora trub she's a, a phd researcher who looks at um I'm going to get, I'm not going to get this quite right, but something like um, emotion and personality and social media. And she made the point that, um, you know, we generally know that women are punished more for, for seeming um, self-promotional and talking themselves up than men. We know that from, you know, job interview behavior. And if a guy talks himself up, it's cool. If a woman does, like we sort of see them as well, who does she think she is? Mm-hmm. Um, so she's like, there is that bias and it sucks, but that, you know, we should change it. That shouldn't mean that we like don't start, you know, don't continue putting ourselves out there and acting confident and setting an example for others. And she also made the point, and I hadn't thought about this until she said it, that um, the, the women's discomfort with self-promotion might not just be about them um, not thinking that other people want to want to hear about their accomplishments, it actually might indicate that they don't think their accomplishments are worthy and worth sharing, or that they even deserved them. Yeah, um, which is a much more dangerous sort of internalized idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, she made the point that like you probably, as a woman, have a huge amount of emotional intelligence. So you're not going to say something like a jerk. You're not going to come off like a, you know, self, like an entitled mediocre white man. Um, And you can just say like, I'm really excited. She suggested making a clear ask. If it's like, I would love for you to check out my website. I would love for you to hit like or share, like make an ask, express that you're really excited and proud and let that be. And, and, you know, see how sort of you'll sort of work that muscle of um, self-promotion when you do it and get great feedback, which happens consistently. And I was still feeling a little weird about it, but then a friend of mine, um, she's actually my, was my Reiki teacher. And so she's very, she always has really great insights on things. Uh, She's a wise woman. She said, Andy, like, don't ever stop sharing the great news you have, because for those who love you, it is a joy to like read it. It is a joy for me to see that in my feed and it's spreading joy for you to share those joyful things. 
Um, and I thought that was so great, right? Yeah, absolutely. I never I mean, thought I, of it that way. I love seeing like any kind of news that my my friends have and like celebrating with them. And that's what's so great about social media. People that you can't see physically very often or, you know, you wouldn't pick up the phone, but you can like see what they're up to and celebrate with them. I mean, yeah. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's also like the things that women are encouraged to celebrate on the internet are like if they're having a baby or getting married, which are great. Like, you know, I want to celebrate those too, obviously, but I never see the like, Oh, I'm so sorry to share this like sonogram picture. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody's got any embarrassment or, or, you know, hesitancy about that. (laughs) Right. I think it's because it's like, with stuff like that, it's like not about you exactly, or it feels like it's outside of yourself somehow or it involves other people where like if you've written a book or some sort of professional accomplishment it feels more like maybe like you're bragging or I actually don't feel this way I've never really had a problem with self-promotion especially with the book stuff I mean I'm yeah. so fucking proud I wrote a yeah. book like, I tried for a long time and yeah. I did it yeah as you should be but yeah, and I I'm in um this blog with other debut authors called the debutante ball mm-hmm. and we did a, a week where we like all blogged about self-promotion and everything and a couple of the other uh, women who are in the blog, they kind of shared more of that, like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with self-promotion. And it makes me feel gross. And what I don't remember exactly what they yeah. said, but kind of the more typical stuff that you see. And I was just like, fuck that. I don't yeah. feel bad about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> really proud. And mm-hmm. honestly, to me, like, yeah, it's great that you're engaged and you like, you know, happen to meet someone that you that you want to spend the rest of your life with. That's awesome. But like, you didn't write a book. You didn't put your blood, sweat, and tears in the five years of, of making this thing come together on your own. So I just feel, yeah, there's there's such, you know, immediate positive feedback for these things that are sort of culturally celebrated of, like, finding a partner, having a kid. And I totally agree with you. They are absolutely excellent and great. Um, but, yeah, no one's, you know, it's no, no. <laughs> Yeah, like why is this any less important like why is this any less exciting um I... yeah I mean like I'm married I've been married for oh my god like 10 10, 10 years holy shit um <laughs> 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 but it's not really like I think staying in a relationship over the long term is kind of an accomplishment oh, just hard, it's hard to live with someone but like getting married is not really <laughs> <laughs> not that big a deal I don't know I had uh I'm very ambivalent about the institution of marriage in general um we mostly got married for health insurance reasons mm-hmm. yep yeah <laughs> otherwise we would have just kept living together but we had a really small like uh, non-fancy wedding like we got married in our apartment and um when I when my book comes out this summer though I'm like I want to throw like a banging launch party yeah like this is like my wedding like yeah this is the thing that I care about I'm not gonna have kids so no baby showers the wedding's over and I didn't do much for it, but like the book, like everyone better come out because this is my special day. <laughs> yes. Like this is your book, baby. Like this is what you have birthed. Yes. Not by like not using, you know, protection, but by like <laughs> pouring your blood, sweat and tears into this for many years. And yeah, this is the thing that, yeah, I Absolutely. felt the same way where I was like, you know, I hope to get married someday and I'm sure my wedding will be a lot of fun, but like my launch day, like, God damn, that was fun. And it was all about me. And I had the best time and everyone was so happy and excited. And it was just all about me. And I was like, yes, I did accomplish this amazing thing. Like, thank you for being here to celebrate with me. Yeah. And I love going to other people's launch parties. I love that event you did in Chicago with the magician. That was so cool. I had a great time. Yeah. No, I did too. That was really fun. But it's sort of like, 
if you embrace the self-promotion and everything, it's like you're becoming a quote-unquote unlikable female character in your own life. That's kind of how I think of it. I'm just like embracing this identity. It's like, I too am an unlikable female character and everyone can just deal with it. Yeah. Oh my God. I absolutely love that. And yeah, if some like, you know, insecure, like incel on the internet is like, who does she think she is? Like posting all these photos of herself with her book and quote-unquote bragging about it. Like, okay, he's free to think that. I'm the one out there, like, who wrote a book? What has he ever done? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I just think all women could stand to have a little more, like, self-promotion arrogance, even. I I love an arrogant woman. I mean, you don't want to be an asshole, but, like, we should be proud of the things that we've done that are amazing. Yeah, and we shouldn't downplay them, which is what I constantly see of, like, oh, no, like, I had a really amazing editor. Oh, no, it's just, I've been working on it. No, it's... Like, no, this is you. You Mm -hmm. did this. Own it. Absolutely. Well, maybe that's a good segue into, um, could you tell us a little bit about what you're working on next? I I heard a a little bit about this at your event in Chicago, but anything else you can share about your next book? I am so excited about my next book and so mad because I still um, kind of can't go into the details in the actual elevator pitch yet, but I can (laughs) say I'm so mad. I keep asking my editor when we can announce it. Um, But it is written. It's coming out next March. It's also a thriller. Um, It is also very, it goes very deep on female friendships, even deeper. Um, And it's it's sort of about um, high achieving women in in New York City and um, what happens when their perfect veneers begin to crack and sort of how far women will go um, to sort of maintain that perfect shell of, you know, uh, brilliant, but approachable, humble, but, you know, smart and ambitious and hardworking and always kind and, um, you know, thin and beautiful, but also like not trying too hard and able to let their (laughs) hair down and just all of these sort of like impossible um, tight ropes that we have to walk as women, especially as high achieving women who are sort of in the public eye. it really sort of explores like what happens when it gets to be too much and you know perhaps some some blood is shed so i'm really excited Yay. about it it's <laughs> called the herd h e r d um and yes hopefully soon i'll i'll be able to share more about sort of the you know the machinations of um of how that how the how the plot is coming together that sounds amazing. And I'm so jealous that your second book is written already because I am like struggling right now to write mine with everything going on. I mean, you know, the debut year is just overwhelming. Absolutely bonkers. I know. I also kind of can't believe I wrote it. I had to write it quickly just because of how the whole production schedule moved along. And now that it exists, I'm like, did I do that? How did I do that? Hmm. <laughs> So do you have another project you're working on now for after that? Or are you kind of just like taking a break? So I'm just beginning. So I'm still in edits for that second book, The Herd. And I am just starting to talk to my editor about um, book three, which I am super excited about and have an idea that I love and I'm going to start playing with. Um, But that is still, that is entirely under wraps. That is like no one, no one had heard me speak of it until like three days ago. So. Okay. So yeah, I'll, but as you can imagine, it's still, there's still, it's about female friendships. It's about um, women doing interesting and perhaps unexpected things. And I think it's going to be my, my best one yet, in my opinion. 
Awesome. Which I can say because it doesn't exist yet, right? So Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have an idea for a third book too, like after the one that I'm writing now. And Mm. I'm like, it's going to be so good. It's going to be perfect. Like I can't, like this one right now is kind of a struggle with that one. It'll be so easy to write. It'll be perfect. It's going to pour out of me. It's going to be, yeah, I'll be channeling the goddesses. It's going to be like nothing else. Yeah, yeah, it always seems great in in your head. Yeah. The actual writing is so difficult, um, but we love it. <laughs> yeah, for some reason we keep doing it. So <laughs> for some reason, yeah, and it just it never stops. Um, okay, well, one question I haven't asked you yet, which we always ask everybody who comes on the show, is: Do you have any favorite unlikable female characters from books, movies, kind of wherever? whatever springs to mind. Yeah. Well, one that one that comes to mind for me is um the woman in The Woman Upstairs by Claire Massoud. Have oh, you yes. That, book? that yes. is Oh my god, that book. That I I just the first page is absolute perfection. I hadn't seen sort of like rage about the boxes we put women in expressed so clearly as like the first two paragraphs of that book. Mm-hmm. Um And yeah, it kind of changed me. Like she has this insane ability that not that many authors do. Uh, Sylvia Plath is another one where they can just take these emotions that we all feel but have never allowed ourselves to sort of crystallize and put into words and like perfectly state it for you. Um, And so I just love that character who, by the time you start the book, um, has gone through hell and back and is like, I give zero fucks now. Like, no, I'm done. Not today, Satan. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I read that and I think a lot of people came to that book after Claire's amazing interview where someone said to her, this is kind of like what started a lot of conversation about unlikable female characters in the first place, right? So, um, some interviewer asked her about her main character and said she was unlikable and was like, well, you wouldn't want to like be her friend or like have a drink mm-hmm. with her. And Claire was like, like, would you want to have a drink with like Humbert Humbert yeah. or like, any of these male characters? Like, no, but they're fascinating yeah. to read about. Holden like, why... like, they're awful. <laughs> they're awful. Absolutely. Um, but we like to read about them because they're fascinating characters and they make us examine things about ourselves that we might not want to admit. And... Yeah. Yeah. I had, I did a radio interview um, with a woman who her very first question right out of the gate was, you know, Lindsay, like she isn't a very good friend. She like, she's so mean to people. She like doesn't actually care about other people. Was it your choice to make her such a, I guess you could say anti-hero? And I was like, <laughs> Wow. Shots fired. Like, okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah that for a first question, it's like first question in. right out of the gate, and it was radio. So like, that's how. Yeah. There's just me like sputtering back for, for a few seconds before I sort of pointed out like, I think you're being maybe a little unfair and quite sexist, actually. <laughs> She's like, no, I yeah. wouldn't like. I wouldn't like a male character who is like that either. It's like, okay. It's like, would the vitriol be the same, though? Like, would the level of... Well, because especially with the, like, bad friend criticism, Mm -hmm. because men are not expected to engage in friendships the way that women are. Like, we're supposed to be there for our friends all the time and emotionally available and remember their birthdays and plan dinners and all this stuff. And men, it's like, if they, like make a single plan or yeah. show up on time like they're great friends like yeah they help you move your couch like the best friend ever right right like, right it's like oh you saved the cat times a thousand you like you know showed basic human decency <laughs> once um yeah besides the fact that Lindsay is a good friend she, she like, is yeah absolutely. she like adores her friends she is so emotionally available she like cares about their need you know like it's just yeah 
yeah she's i mean she's going through some shit in the book obviously as we all do sometimes but yeah that's a very unfair criticism i think yeah so for a moment i was i was like claire massoud we we were we were in that moment together (laughs) (laughs) awesome well this has been such a great conversation i'm so glad we got a chance to chat and i cannot wait for your second book and third book and all the other books you're going to write. So thank you very much. Thank you so, so much. I really enjoyed being on it. And I also cannot wait for Temper to come out. So excited. Oh, thank you. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe. And you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.